Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Our theme for this year is being grounded in Christ in a chaotic world. The songs we have sung have talked about the peace that there is in the midst of trial, that, that peace does not mean an absence of problems, but it's a confidence and assurance within those trials. And it only comes if we have the proper foundation. In April of 2009, a 58-story high-rise residential building opened in San Francisco. The Millennium Tower was the tallest concrete structure in the city, the fourth tallest building in the city, and the tallest one that had been built in the city since 1986. At 645 feet tall as a condominium skyscraper with the blue-gray glass, it was the tallest residential building west of the Mississippi River. The penthouse unit sold for $13 million in 2016. But in 2016, the public was made aware that there was a problem with this building. The problem was it was sinking and tilting. At that time, the building had sunk about 16 inches and was tilting six inches at the top of the tower. Last June, a Bay Area news report stated that the Millennium Tower was now tilting more than ever and had increased to 29 inches of tilt at the top. I saw a special on, on this and they put a golf ball on the floor in one of the apartments or one of the condominiums and it just rolled across the floor. Accusations as to who is at fault have been leveled, engineers have been hired, a lawsuit has been filed by the Homeowners Association and there is a $100 million plan to fix the problem with this troubled tower. One engineer said, you can spend all this money and you still are not certain that their result will be long-term. Now, there's a lot of debate as to who's at fault in the problems with the tilt of the Millennium Tower, but there's no question as to what the actual problem is. It's the foundation. It's the soil that is under the tower. Because the actual bedrock in that area of San Francisco is uneven and in some places quite deep, the structure was actually built on top of a 60 to 90 foot concrete slab with friction piles driven below it to absorb any of the problems that might arise. But the various densities of the soil and content of the water within that soil caused an uneven settling. And a proper foundation is vital for a firm structure. And in a city that is known for having earthquakes, that doesn't provide a lot of confidence. What I want us to understand, and we're going to look at from this passage in Colossians this morning, is that Jesus Christ provides stability through the confident expectation that he will accomplish his work in our lives. And we can have that confidence in the midst of a chaotic world. 
As we had talked about and talked with our, our pastors back at our retreat back in October of, of a theme for this year, we talked about a possi- possibly a chaotic culture, but the chaos is much more than our culture. It's the world in which we live. Romans 8 tells us that even creation groans because of the consequences of sin. And what we want to consider is that we can be grounded. We can have a sure foundation in the midst of the uncertainty that takes place around us because of Jesus Christ. And we're going to consider that from the first chapter. Now, let me just give you the context of what what we're going to be considering. But the context of this first chapter is Christ's relationship on multiple levels. The first one is Christ's relationship to the Father. And we see that in verse 15, and we'll read these verses, but I want to give you the overview as we come into it, that that he is the image of the invisible God. Well, we considered that from John 1 through through the month of December and and at the time of Christmas, that, that he is the image of the invisible God, that that he came so that we could see the Father. Well, the passage here tells us that we're to walk worthy of the Lord. What does that mean? We're to walk in a way that he is pleased. That's actually verse 10. We're not going to read that far back, but it's leading us into this that if we're going to live in a way that is pleasing to Jesus Christ, we, under, we need to understand that he is God the Son and, and that he represents, that we see the glory of the Father in Jesus Christ, the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us that we could behold his glory. And then the 15th verse says that he's the firstborn over all creation. That does not mean that he was created, but it means he was supreme. He is supreme. He has the rights that the firstborn would have. And so the second thing we see is his Christ's relationship to the universe. That all things were created that are in heaven and earth, visible, invisible, that which is seen and unseen, thrones, thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. All things were created through him and for him and by him all things and in him all things consist. That the very air that you are breathing this morning belongs to him. It's invisible. And so we owe our lives to him. And so understanding this, and as it said in John 1 verse 3, without him, nothing was made that was made. And so again, he's not a created being because nothing was made except by him. And so his relationship to the universe. Third is his relationship to the church. That he is the head of the body, which is the church. And and so we see that preeminence Now, the the pagan world around us is okay if you talk about Jesus as a preference, but he can't be supreme. It's okay to say Jesus is a way, but not the way, because he is exclusive. He is the only way, And, and that's intolerant to our world, and they will not tolerate that kind of intolerance because they're so accepting. But our danger as believers, our danger as a church is not to deny that he is the only way. Our danger is not so much that we deny Jesus, but that we dethrone Jesus. 
That rather than seeking to live for his pleasure, we live for ours, but we justify it because we're Christians. He demands and deserves supremacy in the church. And so our first question in what we're doing is, what does he want, not what do I want, what do you want? That we come together for his exaltation and our edification, not for our entertainment and amusement. And then finally, the context and where we're going to be this morning is Christ's relationship to the believer. And we find that, and our our text for this morning will be verses 21 through 23. We'll begin reading a little further back to give us that full context. But this chapter is the key chapter, one of the key chapters on the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of creation. He is the head of the church, and he reconciles all things to himself that we as sinners can be reconciled to God. So if you have your Bibles open, follow with me as I begin reading in verse 15. Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in faith grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, am minister." Let's look to the Lord. Father, as we look into your word this morning, we pray that that you would open our eyes, that we would behold wonderful things from your word, that we would see Jesus Christ as the, the beginner and completer, the author and finisher of our faith, and that we truly would examine ourselves to see if we be in the faith. Lord, help us to be grounded in the midst of the adversity and chaos of our world and to present your the image of Jesus Christ in our lives so that he would be pleased we ask this in Christ's name amen what I want us to see from this passage is that Jesus Christ provides the stability through that confident expectation that he will accomplish his work in our lives that that hope is not a wishful idea but it is a confident assurance The first thing I want to see from this passage is that stability comes when you have that right fellowship. When you have been brought together in fellowship with the Father through the Son. The the people at Colossae are learning about the grace of God from Epaphras. We we see that back in verse 7. He's telling them good news in a bad news world. 
mean, as we, as we heard of what the situation was in Thessalonica, as Dr. Ending introduced that, our reading this morning, and the persecution there, that was their world at that time. It was chaotic. And yet, Epaphras is telling the people at the church at Colossae of the good news. We have the good news. And what we find in this passage is, is the good news of where we are today if we have trusted Jesus Christ. Notice how verse 21 begins, and you who once were. You know, every Christian has a past. You who once were. We once were this way, but now things have changed. Well, what were we? Well, we were alienated. We were born alienated from God. I mean, what does it mean to be alienated? You know, to be an alien. It means to be estranged. It means to be foreign. It it means to, to not be in that group. You know, something that is alien doesn't quite fit. You know, it, it may be culturally or socially not fitting. You know, shortly after we moved from Maine here to Arizona, I was asked to speak at a church in Colorado that was having a Western theme day. And when I was contacted, the pastor said, you can wear your boots. Now, I do not own a pair of cowboy boots. And I, I did at one time. I once had a very nice pair of cowboy boots. I loved those boots. They were suede, tan, but that was before I entered junior high. (laughs) But I still remember those boots. And so when the pastor said, you can wear your boots, I said, you know what? I don't think the boots I brought from Maine, my L.L. Bean boots, are going to be appropriate for your theme. If I had showed up at a Western theme event wearing those boots, it's like, that's not fitting. That's alien. Now, now in Maine, those are iconic. If you go to L.L. Bean's store, that, they actually have this massive boot out front of their store. And, and you see that in the picture. Or, hey, I think I've got a picture of that. That you can see, that is their, that is iconic. For them. In Maine, it's iconic. In Colorado, it would have been alien. And, and while they may not have ostracized me, they would have said, he doesn't get it. You know, you can take the man out of Maine, you can't take man out of, the Maine out of him. But what we read in this passage is far more than a social faux pas. The alienation spoken of here in Colossians 1 is not a social misstep. It is a spiritual separation and estrangement from God. In fact, Ephesians 2.1 says we were dead in trespasses and sin. Verse 12 says that at that time we were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant promise, without hope, without Christ in the world. That is a bad situation. To be without promise, without hope, and without Christ in an unstable, chaotic world. And it was because of our sinful condition. We were aliens. Our sinful condition, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're outside the region of righteousness before we receive Christ. 
And it's not just our boots that are the problem. Everything we wear is sinful and unrighteous. So we need his robes for mine. The robes of my wickedness and sinfulness for his righteousness. That we have to change clothes. But it wasn't just that we were alienated. We were hostile, and so we move from alienation to reconciliation. We also go from hostility to, to family. See, the unsaved are not just aliens, they're agnostic toward God. As sinners, you once were an enemy in your mind. That's what verse 21 is telling us. You were once were alienated, enemies in your mind, by wicked works. Now, maybe you were saved at a young age, and when I say, well, as Christians, we all have a past, you say, well, my past wasn't that bad. You know, as a child, I, I didn't really get into that much sin. But you still had a sinful heart. Even as a child, have you ever seen the temper tantrum of a two-year-old? Oh, what a sweet child. <laughs> no, the only thing keeping them from homicide and doing serious devastation and bodily injury is the lack of size, muscle mass, knowledge, and coordination. It's not their sweet disposition. Because we're born alienated and enemies of God. And God looks at the heart. Jeremiah 17.20 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And God does know it. Evil deeds come from the heart. Evil thoughts flow out of the heart. We're enemies in our mind by wicked works is what it's telling us. And we behave out of our hearts. Ephesians 2 tells us that, that in, in verse 3, it says we were children or sons of disobedience. We were children in the wrong family. We're in the family of disobedience. And we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as others, Ephesians 2 tells us. And so our actions flow out of our heart. Our words flow out of our heart. And if you don't think our wor world is hostile to God, just listen to their speech. How many times is God's name used as a curse word? Why is that so prevalent? Because they're enemies in their mind. And we understand that. that our world hates God. I mean, this is why Hollywood has so much vulgarity. Because they have wicked hearts. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So be careful not to be entertained and influenced by people who hate God. You need to be on guard. If you're going to have a sure foundation in a chaotic world, you need to be examining where you're getting your input. See, sin is defined as, as falling short of the glory of God. We're created for Him. And we fail to accomplish that a created purpose. And so we're alienated from God, we're antagonistic from God's family, but He has transferred us, that we have a new fellowship. And so in Ephesians 2, Jews and Gentiles are brought together and placed in the same body, which is the church. And the fellowship that we ought to have with other believers, to, to fellowship with people that are different from us. Normally our friendships are based on, on, we've got the same hobbies, the same likes, the same interests, the same occupation. And so we have fellowship there. 
our fellowship is in the church is we have the same faith. And we may come from different backgrounds, different nationalities. We have all these differences and we have one thing that unites us. It's in Jesus Christ. And that's why we have to guard the fellowship and guard our spirits. And, and, and that person who annoys you is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So what are we doing to build that fellowship with one another? We're going to spend eternity with them. And so we can enjoy the riches of reconciliation. That's what we see, that we were alienated, but He has reconciled us. We have a new fellowship. The second thing, though, that we see is stability comes when you develop the right focus. That we have this fellowship, we have this reconciliation in His body of flesh through His death for the purpose of being holy and blameless and without reproach in His sight. The realm of our reconciliation is the body of Christ. That he died, and part of what's taking place here, and we're not, we're not going into all the, the background, but, but Paul is actually having to confront a heresy that had developed there at Colossae that denied that Jesus had died physically. It was a denial of the physical death and, and the, the shedding of his blood. Well, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Jesus had to die physically and rise from the dead for our salvation. It's the, the blood by reason of the life that is in it that must be shed. And the result of his death is reconciliation. To, prevent, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. See, God has a plan for our salvation and it's more than just keeping us from going to hell. It's that we would be holy, blameless, and above reproach. That means without accusation. So how are we doing? We're to walk pleasing to Him. And understanding that we often feel unstable when those accusations fly. Satan's an accuser. He, he loves to ask questions. Has God really said? And plant those doubts that cause us to begin to wonder if, Am I tilting? Is this building, is this structure sinking? Satan is the accuser. Sometimes our own conscience is, a, is the accuser. Because as I said, as Christians, we all have a past. You once were. Well, for some, we, there are things we don't want anybody to know. And Satan will say, well, how can you really be a Christian when? No, understand he's the accuser. And if those sins are under the blood, we leave it at the cross. It says in 1 John 3, verse 20, for if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Christ died for those sins. All of our sins, past, present, and future, when you have trusted in Christ, those sins are under the blood. You are justified. Now when we sin, we need to confess it for that relationship, but not to regain salvation. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But don't lose sight of what God is doing. In fact, a little further on in Colossians, in chapter 2, verse 18, Paul's going to tell them, don't let anyone cheat you of your reward. And part of that, that being led away of cheated out of it comes by having the wrong thoughts, a fleshly mind. You know, if you fail to recognize the value of something, it can be taken away. You know, sometimes with a child, they may have a dime and you, come, you could go up with a shiny nickel and say, well, my nickel is bigger than your dime. 
and they could be cheated out of that dime. Because when you look at just the, the actual size, the one is bigger than the other, but the value is different. Well, don't be cheated out of the value of what Christ has done by what the world has to offer. Say, well, I think that really looks good. Because our stability comes as we have the right focus of what he is doing. The third thing we see is stability comes when we pursue the right foundation. That if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded, steadfast, and not moved from the hope of the gospel which you have heard. The word if here is not an if of doubt. If not, well, I hope you continue. I hope you make it. You know, I hope you get to heaven. That's not what it's saying. It's, it's not a conditional if. It's a consequential if. It's the if of consequence. Because or since. And the Greek text brings this out. It's a, a first-class condition that is because of what has happened. Since this has happened, this is what will take place. That since you are in the faith, you're grounded, steadfast, and not moved. And, and the idea here is persevering. It's continuing. It's pressing forward. That, that the perseverance is a condition of your salvation, not a condition for your salvation. And sometimes there's confusion about that. This is a statement of hope, not of uncertainty. It's, it's a statement of what will happen. You will continue in faith. Philippians 1 verse 6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. That he who has begun it will continue to perform it until it's complete. And we have that hope. And so the characteristic of genuine faith is that continuation. It's that persevering. It, it proves our, that our faith is real. And it's demonstrated by that sure foundation that's grounded and stable in an unstable world. So it proves the character of our faith. And understand, it doesn't happen apart from the power of God. That we have this foundation. So it really brings us then to the fourth point, that stability comes when you continue in the right faith. The statement there, the faith, is the body of truth that has been delivered. So the hope of the gospel which you've heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, Paul's saying, I'm preaching the good news. That's the faith that we have. Or to go to chapter 2, verse 7, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. That this ought to bring us the hope, the joy, the confidence that what God is doing, He's going to continue until it's complete. Say, so, yeah, but I'm not what I should be. Yes, but you're not what you once were. That's the work of God. And recognizing that, that we ought to continue. So, so how do we apply, how does this work out? Well, recognize your anticipated condition. God doesn't justify you without changing you. Hebrews 3.14 says, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confident steadfast to the end. We anticipate what's going to happen. 
We, we are secure. And so hang in there. Man, all these problems, these trials, these difficulties in, in our world, hang in there because it's going to happen. You know, I, I enjoyed looking at pictures as, as we celebrated the, the retiring of our debt and going back through the, those. And we, we had a PowerPoint and showed some of the pictures of the building and put those in the bulletin. And I enjoyed looking at those pictures. And there were certain ones where it's like, okay, I'm trying to figure out the perspective. What part of this building is that? You know, if you've ever walked through a building project and and somebody says, now we're going to put a wall up here and this is going to happen here and this is going over there. And sometimes you can picture it and sometimes you can't. That's what God is doing in your life and mine. He's making us conform to the image of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, okay, over here I'm going to clean this out and we're going to remove this and we're going to structure and say, okay, I'm not quite picturing it. Anticipate what he will do. Do you have a sense of God's glory? He's working to make you look like Jesus. And when we get to heaven, we're going to be reflecting Christ in our lives. So that ought to be happening now. Because that's why God works everything together for good, even bad things. That we would be conformed to the image of His Son. And nothing will separate us from the love of God. So do you have a sense of the glory of God? If so, it really brings us to a glad submission. Say, Lord, I want you to work in my life. I, I, I don't want problems. I, I don't want the, the chaos to come. But when it does, I have a sure foundation. Hold on to the faith. That's actually what Jude 3 says. The faith which was once delivered for all to the saints. And it's an anticipation that he who's begun the good work will continue it till it's complete. You know, when, when you anticipate something, it allows you to put other things to the side. When, when we lived in, in Maine, Judy's parents, my, our in-laws, the kids' grandparents, lived in New Jersey, just south of New York City across the bay. And, and so we would usually try to get down there a couple times a year to see them, spend vacation. And, and going from, from Maine to New, that part of New Jersey, we had to time it just right. Because if you left too early, you'd hit Boston rush hour. If you you left really early, and then you would hit Hartford rush hour. And if you left too late, you'd hit New York City rush hour getting on the other side. So we we knew about when we had to leave and so that we could miss most of that. But you never were quite sure with accidents, with all of the traffic. And so we would usually call our parents when we were leaving, and they would say, okay, call us when you get to the Raritan Bridge. Because they knew once we hit that bridge, how long it was going to take. And so when we would get to the bridge, we would call them and they say, okay, we will meet you at the Marina Diner. Well, we knew that was going to be the pattern. The Marina Diner is an amazing New Jersey diner. And so we would look forward to that. And, and we would start talking about what we were going to order because we knew their menu. And we would be looking forward to that. And as we're traveling, even as we're going, we know that when we call them, they're going to say, we'll meet you at the diner. And so we would take snacks, but as we got closer, it's like, I don't want snacks. I'm hungry, but I know what's coming. I know what they have at the diner. And I I never locked in because I never knew what the specials were going to be. And I wanted to see the specials before I actually locked in what I was getting. 
But if you understand what God is going to do, if you have that anticipation of the change that's coming, then it allows us to push aside the pleasures of sin for a season. Because those will not satisfy. And sometimes the reason we're not excited about heaven is we're filling up on the junk food of the world. And so understanding that anticipation of the the change of our condition. Secondly, what we need to do is not stray from our secure position. And as I mentioned, the the statement of of the if is a, a confidence. And understanding that the words grounded, steadfast, which means firmly established, and not moved away in verse 23 are all passive words in the Greek text. What what that means is it's something that happens to the believer, not something the believer does. You know, if it's an active word, you know, I hit the ball is active. It's something I do. I was hit by the ball is passive. These words of being grounded, steadfast, and unmoved are something that God is doing to us. It's not what we do. They're passive. I'm being grounded. I'm being steadfast. I'm being unmoved. And it's because of the work of God. It is what He is doing. That God will accomplish His goal. And it is more than just your justification. That's part of it. But He who has begun it, that's justification, will continue it, that's sanctification, and perseverance until it's complete, that's glorification. So are we becoming like Jesus? Are we seeing that? The goal, the reason for your salvation is not just to get you out of hell, it's all of that, that you would be like Christ. You know, when a baby is born, we celebrate the birth. We're excited about that, we announce it. It's a wonderful announcement, it's wonderful news, but we also want to see them grow. And so parents get excited about the first steps and then the first words. And then you can't shut them up. And, and we, and, but we're excited because we want to see them walk. Third John 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. Beyond birth is the walk. And if there are developmental issues in a child, we become concerned. We don't say, well, at least they were born. No, we're concerned, what's going on? What's the problem? What, what can we do? How can this be fixed? What, and and we, we begin to focus on that. Well, then don't you think if somebody has a profession of faith and they're not growing, we ought to ask, what's the problem here? Instead of saying, well, at least they're saved. At least they're born. Well, if they're truly born, they're going to grow because that's the characteristic of new life. We, one of the things that Dr. Wigginton may stated for us at our, our leadership retreat, he said, become what you are. And that the, uh, the idea was not that, you know, just be whatever you want attitude. It was, what are we? We are called to be saints. We're accepted in the beloved. We're set apart to be holy. So are you being holy? Are we growing in saintliness? Are we showing Christ in how we relate to other believers? As I said, we're going to spend eternity with them. We ought to to start looking like that now so that we don't have to have name tags in heaven. Saying, well, I didn't recognize you. No, we don't want that. That process is taking place now. 
And when we have that, we become steadfast. We become grounded because of the work and person of Jesus Christ. Folks, let's under, understand, storms are going to come. I mean, what we, what we heard from 1 Thessalonians, Paul is admonishing them that persecution will come. We don't want that. And we, but we see storms come. And if we're not grounded, they're going to shake us. What, what kinds of storms are going to hit us? You know, sometimes it's health issues. Sometimes it's financial problems. Sometimes it's just individual trauma that comes into one person's life. Sometimes it's relational issues. Maybe it's the world events, the stress of life and burdens, a, a loss of a loved one, problems in family, a wayward child. And some of you have entered 2024 already in the storm. For others, it may seem like life is good, but storms will come because we live in a fallen world. So what do we need to do? And the third thing is preach the good news to yourself and then to others. Remind yourself of the reconciliation that you have because of the bodily death of Jesus Christ by His blood and the resurrection. Talk to yourself. When Satan accuses you, say, yeah, that's under the blood. If we sin, we confess our sins knowing He is faithful and righteous to forgive us. And He'll cleanse us. And that relationship is restored. Remembering that a true Christian will continue in the, work, the good work that God is seeking to accomplish. Don't become complacent. Don't be apathetic. And don't be knocked off course when problems come. Because it's easy to blame the problems. Well, I was doing okay, but that problem. No, the problem just revealed where our building was tilting. The problems show us where our foundation needs work. Let me have you turn very quickly in as we conclude this morning to, to Matthew chapter 7. I want you to see these verses because, because Matthew is going to talk about not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, enters the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 7, look at verse 21. Those are not the verses on the screen. So, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Notice it, it's not the profession, it's how is this getting worked out. That, that those who do the will of the Father. See, our st salvation and stability are not founded on a mere profession. Our faith is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's not that, do I have a date in my Bible? It's, do I have a foundation in Christ? Have you asked Him to be your Savior? It's not the church that saves you. You can come to church all your life and go to a Christless eternity with a lot of knowledge if you've never asked Him to save you personally. You know, when storms come, how do we stand? The Portland Head Lighthouse is located in Fort Williams Park in Cape Elizabeth, Maine. We used to have our church picnics at this park when I pastored in Maine. It's probably the most photographed lighthouse on the East Coast. And it was first lit January 10th of 1791. So, so this lighthouse has been operating for 233 years. 
It's guided many ships into the Portland Harbor, in, and it's weathered many storms. I think, I think this picture is one that my, our son Tim took. I've got pictures Christopher took, Caitlin took. Uh, we could probably do a whole calendar just on the pictures we have. But I've always enjoyed going over there. But there have been some major storms that have hit that lighthouse. One of them happened last week. And several photographers posted pictures. Uh, this was by Benjamin Williamson, posted a picture on social media. It's the largest wave I've ever seen there. You may be able to see there are people in front of that, down by that fence, which gives you the perspective. And, and there has been damage to the building. There have been shingles that have been blown off. I was there one time and a window had been broken by the storm. But the structure has always stood firm. Why? Because it's built on rock. That first picture you saw, it is on a solid foundation. It's not tilting to one side. Well, Jesus compared the receptiveness to his teaching to two men who decided to do home construction projects. Both of them built solid structures, apparently, but the difference was the foundation. One built on a rock and the other on sand. And we see that in the following verses where I had you turn in Matthew 7. Verse 24, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built the house on the rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on a rock. And then there's another man, verse 26, For everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man, who built his house on the sand, the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat on the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. What's the difference between the wise man and the foolish man? They both heard the sayings of Jesus. They both built, but the difference was, do they obey? Do they do? I've sought to give God's word this morning. Have you heard? So what are we going to do with it in our lives? And when, when is the foundation revealed? It's revealed when the storms hit. It's not revealed when the sun's shining. It's when the storms come. And when the storms come, how is your foundation? It'll be seen in your reactions. It'll be seen in your confidence. It'll be seen in your, your, your faith. It doesn't mean that there aren't trials. It doesn't mean we don't grieve. It doesn't mean we don't sorrow. But as I began earlier, I said we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. And the hope is not a wishful thinking. It's a confidence. Because even when the weather looks clear, storms are going to arise. So the question for us today is, where are you resting your hope? Where is your hope today? How are you building your life? Do you see the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peacefulness, gentleness? Are you easily entreated? Do you have a security in the midst of trial? Jesus Christ provides stability because of that confident expectation that what He has begun, He will accomplish. This is the hope for a true believer. And if this isn't your hope this morning, it can be. If you would trust Christ personally. Are you grounded in Christ alone? And if grounded, are you obedient? Will you remain steadfast? Don't tilt 
in a chaotic world. Let's look to the Lord.